Have you ever stopped to think about what you once said at your funeral? This, by the way, is more than just a cheap plug for you to come back in January and hear my sermon series on dying and death. We will do that, but it's a, it's a serious question. If you've ever really stopped to think what you once said about you when you're dead and gone, about what your legacy will be. There's an old saying that if you want to know how to live your life, then you should think about what you want people to say about you after you die and then live backwards. But what's going to be your legacy? This morning, as we continue our Advent series, focusing in on some of the lesser-known characters in the Christmas story, we're going to focus in on the life of Joseph. Joseph, the forgotten father of Jesus. Not the father by birth, but the adopted father of Jesus. Although there's not much information available to us on Joseph, I hope to show you this morning that Joseph leaves behind an amazing legacy of a life well lived. I wanna invite you to take your bulletin and grab that outline. We're gonna look at a number of places here this morning. We have to piece together different stories in the life of Joseph in order to come to an understanding, a character study of who this man was. And so this morning we're gonna be in Matthew chapters one and two and also Luke chapter two. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up first to Matthew chapter 1. We'll also look again, Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. But there on your outline, you can see that we're going to look at really three main things. We're going to look at Joseph's faith in Matthew chapter 1. Then we're going to see Joseph's obedience in Luke 2 and Matthew 2. And then we'll put it all together under number three on your outline as we discuss Joseph's legacy. So again, let's look first at Joseph's faith. This is going to be in Matthew chapter 1. Let's look first at verse 18. Number one on your outline, Joseph's faith, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause here, and let's consider, this is really the background story of the Christmas story. And we began by seeing the details around the relationship between Mary and Joseph. Now, to understand these details, let me give you a bit of context about what betrothal and marriage was like in the first century New Testament world. Now, the first thing you need to understand is that marriages were arranged by parents. And so we can safely assume that at some point, Mary's parents and Joseph's parents had arranged for them to be married. And in the culture of this day, what would happen is parents would agree to this arrangement, and then a legal contract would be written that would begin the period called betrothal, the betrothal period. We call this engagement. But there was about a year gap, this is the second thing I want you to understand, about a year gap between the arrangement of the marriage and the actual marriage ceremony. And this year gap is called the betrothal period. 
What you also need to understand is that although Mary and Joseph were betrothed, they were already actually called husband and wife. And this relationship they had now entered entered into was a legally binding relationship, this betrothal relationship. Now, they weren't living together. They weren't sleeping together. But they were legally betrothed to one another. And the third thing I want you to understand is that to break off that betrothal would have required what we consider a legal divorce, a breaking of that contract. And so with that background in mind, look again at the details of the text here. Again, Mary and Joseph's parents, we can safely assume, had arranged for them to be married. Notice there in verse 18, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. But then somewhere in this betrothal period, in this one-year gap between the arrangement and the ceremony, the text tells us that Mary was found to be with child. She was found to be pregnant. Now, as you look at the other gospel accounts, chronologically, Mary at this time, she's, remember, she went off to visit her relatives. She now comes back, and around this time, she's probably around four months pregnant. When we read the verse here in in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, she's probably around four months pregnant. So she's in this kind of awkward stage of pregnancy, right? I want you really to try to imagine this in your mind. You're Joseph, because we're focusing in on the life of Joseph this morning. You're Joseph, and your fiance, your betrothed, has been away, and now she returns, and something doesn't quite look right. She's found to be pregnant. By all human appearances, It sure looks like Mary has been unfaithful to Joseph. And so he has a choice. He could divorce her. But also, the text doesn't say this here, but in the Old Testament we read, Joseph's, one of the legitimate options he had would be to publicly shame Mary and actually to have her stoned to death. So again, imagine that you're Joseph and and by all human appearances, she's been unfaithful to you. And so what are you going to do? Well, notice what we read in verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, plan to send her away secretly. Now again, we have very little information on Joseph, but what we do have, this probably tells us the most right here. The text says that Joseph was a righteous man. And as a righteous man, he wanted to do what the law said. And again, under the law, he had every right to kill Mary, to have her stoned to death for her apparent unfaithfulness to him. But notice as well what the text says. He's a righteous man, but also he doesn't want to disgrace her. 
That word for disgrace means to publicly expose and to make an example of. So Joseph doesn't want to expose what she has done. He doesn't want to make a public spectacle of her and and make an example of her. Joseph is a righteous man. He wants to do what is right, but he's also merciful. He has every legal right to condemn her to death. But he doesn't. Joseph is in a dilemma. Does he turn a blind eye to what by all appearances sake is a a reason to believe that Mary has fallen into sin? Does he turn a blind eye to it or does he hand her over to the authorities to be killed? Instead, Joseph takes a third option. Notice there at the end of verse 19, he planned to send her away secretly. He planned to send her away secretly. The word for send her away, by the way, is an interesting word. It uh, has been translated and can be translated as divorce. Again, this was a legally binding betrothal contract, and so Joseph planned to divorce her secretly to break off that contract. This word for uh, send away or divorce, it really is an interesting word. It simply means to remove or to release. And as a side note, the same word is also used elsewhere to capture the idea of forgiveness of all things. This is kind of an aside, but picture this in your mind. When someone has sinned against you, there's now a barrier, an obstacle separating you and them. And to forgive them means that you send away or you divorce that obstacle standing between you and them to create a harmonious relationship once again. It really is a beautiful picture of forgiveness. But what but Joseph is contemplating here is sending Mary away. She has sinned against him, so he thinks. And so he's planning to divorce her, to send her away. But then notice what happens in verse 20. But when he, Joseph, had considered this, divorcing Mary, sending her away, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David. By the way, this is the only time someone other than Jesus is called son of David. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all of this, Matthew tells us, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So again, we're we're looking at this story through the lens of Joseph here. There's so much that could be said here in these verses, but I want us for this morning to focus in on Joseph, the forgotten father of the Christmas story. And here for Joseph, this is the first time of four times, the first of four times that an angel of the Lord will appear to Joseph in a dream. The first of four times that an angel of the Lord will appear to Joseph in a dream with a message. And in each of these dreams, what I want you to see is that God uses Joseph 
as a human instrument through which some of the most amazing promises of God are fulfilled. Here specifically in this first dream, this promise that Jesus will be born and you are to call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this, Matthew, takes place to fulfill the promise there that the virgin will bear a son and we shall call his name Emmanuel. But what I want you to see is this pattern of Joseph's faith and his faithfulness all about a way God uses to bring about the, the promises of God to fulfillment. So Joseph here receives this word of the Lord through the angel in a dream. And then notice his reaction. Verses 24 and 25. After having this dream, after hearing these words, verse 24 says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife that kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he, Joseph, called his name Jesus. There's a couple things I want you to notice here. Uh, first of all, notice Matthew tells us Joseph, after the dream, he wakes up, he does as the angel of the Lord commands him, and he takes Mary as his wife. He takes Mary as his wife, and many commentators believe that there at that moment, Joseph took Mary as his wife, thus saving her from the shame of this public humiliation of continuing in in the betrothal period, and now everybody knows that she's pregnant out of wedlock. We don't know that for sure, but that certainly seems to be what the text is saying. He, in that moment, takes Mary as his wife, saving her from that public shame, but notice verse 25, he keeps her a virgin until she gives birth to that son. He keeps her as a virgin until she gives birth to that son. But again, truly, I want you to take a moment and consider the amazing faith that Joseph has here. There's not in the text even a hint of doubt in Joseph after he has this dream and hears these words. He simply believes and now obeys the word of the angel in this dream. The text emphasizes he wakes up and he does just as the Lord commands him. As I tried to put myself in Joseph's shoes this week, I couldn't help but ask myself, man, if I had woken up from that dream, I think my first reaction might have been, man, what did I have to eat last night? That was a crazy dream. I mean, who on first pass would believe it. But Joseph has faith. He believes it. And then as we look at number two on your outline, Joseph obeys. Joseph has faith and Joseph obeys and does exactly what the angel of the Lord tells him to do. And I want us to continue looking at Joseph's obedience as we look at number two on your outline, turn over to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two. Keep your place there in Matthew. We're gonna come back to Matthew shortly. But turn over to Luke chapter two as we think about Joseph's obedience. Now as we pick up the text in Luke chapter two, verse 21, this is now a few days after Jesus' birth. 
So Jesus has now been born, and then notice what happens in Luke chapter 2, verse 21. And when eight days had passed since Jesus' birth, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they, they being Mary and Joseph, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. There's a couple things I want you to notice here in the text that highlight Joseph's obedience. A lot of details here that highlight the obedience that Joseph demonstrates doing everything he was asked to do, everything required of the law of the Lord. First, notice Joseph indeed calls his name Jesus. Remember back in Matthew, we saw that the angel told Joseph, you are to call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And here we read that just as instructed, verse 21, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived. This is obedience on the part of Joseph. Secondly, notice Joseph had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day according to the law of Moses. Exactly according to the law of Moses, Joseph has Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. This again is the obedience of Joseph. And then third, notice the great detail that Luke gives us about the travel that Mary, jo uh, Joseph, and Jesus, they go to Jerusalem to present Jesus to the Lord as is written in the law of the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. Everything done in accordance with the law of the Lord. This is again highlighting the obedience of Joseph. Joseph is obedient all the way up. And then flip back over to Matthew chapter 2. Flip back over to the book of Matthew chapter 2. Now we fast forward a little more in the life of Jesus. Jesus is now one to two years old. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. This is after the Magi come and offer their gifts, their offerings to Jesus. And remember, Herod the king is troubled about the new uh, king of the Jews. And so he's conspiring and trying to figure out a way to find out where this baby is born. But notice verse 13. When they, the Magi, had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod, and this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And then skip over to verse 19. And when Herod died, so again now Mary and Joseph and Jesus are in Egypt, but when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
So Joseph, in obedience, got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then, after being warned by God, notice, in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Notice the repetition here. Four dreams. Again, dream number one, Joseph is told to take Mary as his wife. Dream number two, Joseph is told to take Jesus and Mary over to Egypt. Dream number three, Joseph is told to take Mary and Jesus and bring him back to Israel. But then here, dream number four is to avoid Archelaus and to go to Nazareth Again, all in fulfillment of scripture, all in fulfillment of prophecy. And every single time, what the text emphasizes is Joseph's obedience. In fact, I want you to notice a really interesting detail there in verse 14. Look again at verse 14. This is in that second dream. Take the child, his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Verse 14, so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother, notice this, while it was still night. While it was still night and left for Egypt. I love that little detail. Joseph didn't hit the snooze button. He didn't think, all right, sounds great, I'll wait until the morning. I need a good night's sleep before I take this really long and complicated journey to Egypt, right? But no, here we see not only the obedience of Joseph, but we see the instant obedience of Joseph. It's, hey, wake up, Mary, grab Jesus, it's time to go, we need to go now. And by the way, there's one more place in the scripture in the New Testament where Joseph is seen there in person. It's in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 50. You don't have to turn there. You can read about it later. This is the last time we see Joseph in person. This is now fast-forwarding. Jesus is 12. Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem for Passover. But again, it's another example of Joseph's obedience, traveling to Jerusalem and taking Jesus there to observe the Passover. Throughout Joseph's life, he's obedient. Joseph never speaks. He never says a word. He's completely silent. But we have a lot to learn in the life of Joseph. Joseph believes the word of the Lord. And Joseph obeys the word of the Lord So as we come to number three on your outline, let's talk about the legacy that Joseph leaves behind. Again, after these stories, before Jesus' birth, during and right after Jesus' birth, and then Jesus, one to two-year-old, and and Jesus is a 12-year-old, after these stories, Joseph disappears from the Bible. He's mentioned, but he's never seen. He's never present. This has led many people to ask, well, well, what happened to Joseph? Where did he go? What happened to him? 
And most likely, at some point, we're not told when, Joseph dies. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know what happened. We, we don't know how old Jesus was. But at some point, most likely, Joseph dies. And by the way, the best evidence we have to believe this is because there at the cross, when Jesus is on the cross, remember, Jesus entrusts Mary, his mother, over to John which really wouldn't make any sense if Joseph was still alive and there. But Jesus entrusts the care of his mother Mary over to John, and so most likely Joseph is dead. We don't know how. And by the way, there, there are a few non-canonical books, books that are not inspired, uh, that try to go into detail and explain Joseph and his life and all of this, uh, but no conservative scholar really gives them much authority or much weight at all. The bottom line is we don't know what happened to Joseph because Scripture doesn't tell us. <clears throat> For one, re one reason or another, Joseph just disappears from the story of the Bible. And that... is, in my opinion, just fine. To disappear. To be forgotten. I think that's a great legacy to leave behind. One author says this, he says, so this is Joseph's legacy. Barely mentioned in Scripture. Forgotten in church history but remembered by God as a faithful servant. And for most of us, this can be our legacy as well, if we are willing, like Joseph, to say yes to God. Joseph was an ordinary man, used by an extraordinary God, and his life is just a piece of a much bigger story. And the same is true for you and for me. Ordinary men and women who are invited to be used by an extraordinary God to tell the most extraordinary story. The good news that I have for you this morning is that Jesus came to die for ordinary people like you and me. We don't have anything to prove before God. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you, to tell this most extraordinary story that the world has ever heard, that God took on flesh <clears throat> and laid down his life for ordinary people like you and me. And it's okay to be ordinary because Jesus is extraordinary. And it's all about him anyway. So this morning, here in this room, or for those of you watching online, I want to give you the opportunity, the invitation. If you've ever put your faith in Jesus, you don't know your place in this extraordinary story. If you don't know that Jesus came to lay down his life for you on the cross, I want to give you the opportunity, the invitation to put your faith in him. If you are a believer in Jesus, the lesson I want you to learn here in the life of Joseph is that it's okay 
to be a nobody in the eyes of the world because you're a somebody in God's eyes. He has a role for you to play in the story that he's telling. And it's okay to be a nobody in the world's eyes as long as you're a faithful somebody in God's eyes. But let's be honest, it's, it's really tempting for us to try to believe and to buy into the lie that we need to be somebody in the world's eyes and to long for fame and fortune when we should be focusing instead on being faithful. Being faithful to the role, however significant or insignificant it might be in this life we live for Jesus. But we're, we're tempted to try to buy into the fame and to the fortune that the world has to offer. You know, I was thinking this week about if the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus' birth happened in our culture, in our world today. Can you imagine Joseph after hearing about this dream, like pulling out his smartphone and taking a selfie, like taking my son on a vacay to Egypt, right? Hashtag good dad. And broadcasting, you know, his faithfulness to God all over the internet, right? Jesus is kind of a blurred image in the background, but Joseph is the main focal point there in the Instagram story. Um, like, no. But Joseph was content being a secondary character because he knew that the primary character is Jesus. And what a great example for you and for me. A reminder of, of whatever story God is, is writing in your life, you're a secondary character. Jesus is the primary character. One of my favorite quotes of all time, it's a short quote, but it's from Nicholas von Zinzendorf. He said, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. See, the goal of life is not to attain fortune. The goal of life is not to be Instagram famous, but the goal of life is to be faithful. And Joseph reminds us of a life well lived, an amazing legacy, that it's all about Jesus anyway. We can be content with living a life where only the Lord knows what you do. If you've been around grace for very long, you know that the vision I have for you, for each and every one of you, is that when you stand before the Lord Jesus, that he would look you in the eye and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And Joseph, I believe, models this ideal very well. A man of faith, a man of obedience. Joseph as the forgotten father of Jesus. There on the backside of your outline, I've given you some application questions to consider. But your one thing for this week is this. Again, think back through the fact Joseph was just an ordinary man willing to be used by an extraordinary God. And God, the good news is that God is still calling ordinary people to be part of his extraordinary plan in the world. And so how might God use you to carry forward his mission 
in the world. Here in Matthew 1 and 2 and in Luke chapter 2, as we piece together the life of Joseph, the forgotten father of Jesus, we see Joseph's faith, we see Joseph's obedience, parts of Joseph's amazing legacy of a life well lived, a man who lived in faith, who lived in obedience, a man who lived for Jesus, understanding that it's all about him anyway. And by the grace of God, may the same be said for each of us as well. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the insight it gives us into the life of Joseph. And Father, I pray for each and every one of us, I pray for myself, that as we reflect on a life well lived, as we think about the story that you're writing for us, Father, most of all, we ask that we would be faithful, that we would be men and women of faith, believing in your promises, that we would be men and women of obedience, and that in so we too would leave behind a great legacy. Even if that means we live, preach the gospel, die, and are forgotten. Father, we're grateful that we're remembered by you, that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us. Father, help us by the power of your spirit to live lives that are set apart, honoring and glorifying to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.